Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you're looking for a great place online to practice the mental health improving tips from this episode that's also COVID safe and HIPAA compliant, consider joining Huddle.Care. Huddle is an online mental health club. We offer additional education about mental health through our weekly newsletter. We provide support for your mental health through our community time and our altruism club, which is like a book club for your mental health. We teach new ways of relating to your anxiety and OCD through our skills groups and our individual out-of-network psychotherapy. We strive to meet you where you are in your mental health journey and provide what you need. Okay, now enjoy the episode. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry. Huddle.Care is growing. If you are a licensed mental health professional in any state and you're interested in joining my team to run individual sessions or group sessions, please email me at team at huddle.care and I'll send you some more information. Thanks. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. This is our first group session. So I have today here Patrice, Jared, Scout, and Sophie. And so these are de-identified real clients using different names and different voices. And they're going to share their experience, um, both individually, how they relate to anxiety and OCD, and then also talk together as a group mimicking what happens in a huddle.care group. Um, So thanks all of you for being here for this group. Uh, We'll get started like we do in the huddle.care groups by everyone introducing themselves based on what they're suffering. So we never, um, for privacy, we never talk about any identifying details, but we just talk about um, the content of our anxiety so that we can relate to each other in that way. So when people introduce themselves, they're just introducing um, whatever they're suffering from. And then also they're saying what they're proud of. So what they're proud of is a moment that they related to their anxiety, OCD, or depression effectively. It's not necessarily something like I got a new promotion or I got engaged to be married or something, something that like people might feel proud of or think that are the only reasons to feel proud in everyday life. What we're trying to capture here is that relating effectively to mental illness is something to be proud of in a moment by moment daily kind of way. And so even if you're having lots of moments where it feels like anxiety or OCD or depression is really beating you up, if you can hold on to any given moment where you're relating effectively and then um, try to generalize or reinforce those moments over time, those will string together and then help you relate to your anxiety, OCD or depression more effectively. So let's get started. Um, Patrice, can you go first with um, introducing yourself and what you're proud of? Um, I have OCD and anxiety. 
and um, mostly anticipatory anxiety and OCD around health issues, contamination, harm, and you know, not just right thinking. And um, I'm proud of the fact that um, th this past week, one of my my oldest brother uh, was exposed to COVID, and he he's previously had a lot of health problems. And so I'm proud of myself that I have been able to just, um, you know, check in with him each day like the rest of the family, but not take over as far as catastrophizing that aligning up care, calling the doctor, all the things that I in the past would have done for fear that he might not do it. And um, he, I'm staying grateful that he's doing well and he's taking care of his own care. So until I'm needed, I'm gonna step back and be grateful. Yeah, I'm really happy to hear that. I know that in light of your history of health anxiety, typically, if you or somebody else was sick, you kind of would become compulsive about <laughs> trying to figure out what's happening and how you can contribute. Um, are you feeling anxious when you kind of sit back and allow him to take care of his own health? Um, initially, I was and, and and a little bit, but each day that we've talked to him, he has assured us that if he needs it, he's going to call the doctor. He'll follow through with testing. And and uh, this is a big step for him. So each time he he relates in that way, I, I guess I want to give him the same credit that I would want if it was someone, another family member relating to me. And so that gets easier to deal with the anxiety. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks so much for that example. Um, Jared, can you go next? Yeah, um, my content area is uh, ADHD, uh, depression, anxiety, and OCD. And I am proud of the fact that I actually went on a bike ride yesterday, uh, just finally getting to remember that feeling. Yeah, that's great. So I know that you've kind of been struggling with um, depression lately, and you have some anticipatory anxiety about getting started and, and kind of like difficulty with initiation. Um, when it comes to behavioral activation? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, can well, can you say a little bit more about that? Why do you think you might have trouble getting started when it comes to doing things to kind of get your body moving? Um, I remember like in the very beginning, it was more tended towards people. I just had a lot of anxiety about how people would look at me or they're staring at me like uh, just riding my bike. And that would actually make me very nervous and very, uh, you know, very anxious in terms of trying to even initiating just getting outside the house. Uh, so the fact that I was able to do that and really just remind myself not to think about the consequences and not to think about the results and just go out and ride. Um, it was just that much easier. And it was a healthy reminder for me that, OK, now you're, you're just so much more you just feel a lot more clear-minded uh, after doing such um, after doing such an exercise. So, uh, yeah, endorphins. Yeah, that's great. I'm really happy to hear that. And I know, I mean, it may be either a symptom of depression or ADHD or both that makes you kind of forget that feeling, like forget that it, and forget the positive reinforcement that when you get out there and ride your bike, uh, you actually end up feeling better afterwards. So it's great to like. Um, reinforce that with yourself by being proud of it. Um, yes. Yeah, Thanks. that's great. Thank you for sharing. Um, Scout, can you go next? Yes. Um, so I have OCD um, and I've had OCD for a, a really long time, ever since I was little. 
Um, my content is usually around scrupulosity. Um, I also have relationship-themed OCD that I'm kind of working with right now. Um, and this morning, I related well to my anxiety. I, I was um, sensitized when I woke up um, this morning, and I knew why. So I didn't spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out what that meant or what was going to happen because of it. Um, I, I didn't feel this morning when I woke up, like going to work, it was kind of like a day where I just wanted to like not do anything, which is unusual for me. Um, but I got up, um, because I knew that I would feel better after I went. And then when I did get anxiety, um, I kind of just stayed focused on my job and what I was doing. Um, and then the other thing that happened is I have this thought belief that I'm bad, um, which kind of ties into all of my OCD content. Um, and this morning, because I was sensitized, I knew that's why I was having that thought. And so I was able to fairly quickly say, um, that's that false narrative. And then again, go back to what I was doing. I'm really happy to hear that. And you're actually using a lot of language that might be challenging for people that aren't in CBT therapy to understand. So just to put some more language to what you were just describing. So scrupulosity is excessive concern with right and wrong. And so that's one of your OCD content areas. Um, the other one you said relationship OCD can be when you're in a good relationship and you're preoccupied with either do I... Um, do I or don't I love my partner or do they or don't they love me back? So it can kind of be in either direction, but the difference between relationship anxiety, which can be actually a problem to solve or just an uncertainty that someone might have and relationship OCD is typically that there's with OCD, there's no problem in the relationship. Um, there's just anxious preoccupation with whether or not there is a problem. Um, so just wanted to clarify that point. And then when you're saying you're sensitized, good use of that word. So that word is coming from the concept of anxiety sensitivity, which is when, um, you know, the, the first fear that someone will have will be their automatic fight or flight reaction plus catastrophic thinking. Our second fear or anxiety sensitivity is when in the presence of that um, first fear, we add a like, oh no, there's something wrong with this. And so anxiety sensitivity, the, oh no, I don't want to feel this way is a trait that we see in um, like at least about a fifth of the pop, um, yeah, like one in five people. And if you're a person that kind of has an, oh no, when you feel anxiety, then states like being hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, stressed, sick, or on, around your menstruation can all be times where you feel sensitized. So Scout just did a great job describing like this was a situation where she, she got sensitized and then she noticed that her mind said, you know, we don't want to do anything today, but then redirected her attention and kept going with her day anyway. Um, Scout, do you have anything to, to add to that or did I summarize it okay? No, that, that was perfect. Okay, glad to hear it. Um, Sophie, can you go next with what you um, uh, introduce yourself and what you're proud of? Yeah, um, most of my content is around um, harm, and I've had contamination OCD too around um, 
kind of with the end thing being harm still. Um, I also have anxiety and um, have had a lot of anticipatory anxiety lately because I started a new job. Um, and I am proud of, I'm starting my third week and I've gradually kind of um, gotten a little bit more confident in my abilities at work at my new job. Um, and I think the biggest thing was uh, I went home for Christmas and kind of expected to have a rush of like anticipatory anxiety as I thought about coming back to work, but I haven't had that yet. And I think if I do get it, it's still like not something that's going to like, I'm not worried about, I guess, like it won't ruin my day or, you know, I'm okay about it um, happening and I can just redirect my attention. I'm happy to hear that. Is there anything in particular that you've learned about anticipatory anxiety that helps you be in a state where it doesn't threaten you? Um, I think the biggest thing is just like, it's okay that it's there, like letting it be there and not trying to prevent it from being there or like using it as a sign. I think the biggest thing was I would use it as a sign that like, oh, this like job isn't right for me or this position isn't right for me or like this environment's not right for me because I'm getting so much anticipatory anxiety. Um, but I think it's just like, I have a really interesting mind. <laughs> so that's kind yeah. of what's going on. You've really embodied like anticipatory anxiety is not a, um, is a feeling, not a factor prediction. Um, and it's, it's not indicating anything about the future. It's more like a um, indication of what might've happened in the past and the way that you resisted against anxiety in the past. Yes, um, I definitely try to use that. Great, I'm happy to hear that. Um, so in a typical huddle group, uh, at this time we'd go into whatever um, everyone was hoping to talk about. So each person, it'd be semi-structured in the sense that everybody could say one, one topic that they're hoping to bring to the group. Um, in this group, in keeping with the themes of the podcast each month, um, this group is consistent with the January podcast about preparing for the anxious moment. And today in particular, we're going to talk about using our values to motivate um, relating to our anxiety effectively. So I just have a couple of questions for the group members to get a sense of how a group would go. Um, but I also want um, listeners to kind of hear how other people use their values to motivate um, commitment towards value-based action. Um, so first off, we'll have everybody answer what motivates you to go towards your anxiety. Like, why is it worth it to challenge your anxiety from your perspective? Um, Patrice, can you go first? I think really what, um, is motivating me at this point to move towards my anxiety is, is I'm learning more and more about how in the past and, and still sometimes now, but hopefully less and less, um, I put so much energy, um, into avoiding situations that cause me anxiety or that would sensitize me um, that I think it just, it, it just increased that cycle. And so I'm, I'm really trying to change my attitude and look at as I move forward over time, it's not, it's a process, it's over time, but over time that my anxiety will lessen and that hopefully I'll feel calmer and um, just be able to relate better in whatever the situation is. It, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to get anxious, but um, I'm, I'm trying to utilize, there was a saying that one of the therapists said, he said, don't, don't overestimate the risks and don't underestimate my ability. So I, I think that as I can move forward to it, my ability, my, my thought about my ability to deal with it will improve and increase. 
Yeah, that's great. That was the consultation with Ken Goodman that he said that. So thanks for the reminder about that. Um, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying because you're basically saying I'm in it for the long haul. So yeah. rather than trying to make any anxious moment, um, get relief from any anxious moment, thinking about the patterns that you now understand and understanding that if you can tolerate anxiety in any given moment in the long term, you won't reinforce it and you'll be calmer um, is a great reason to um, learn to relate to your anxiety more effectively. So thank you for that. Um, Jared, can you go next? Yeah, um, you know, mine is kind of similar to Patrice, uh, just in the fact that, um, you know, the more that I avoid uh, certain tasks or certain, uh, you know, responsibilities that I would have to do, it actually just creates more anxiety and makes it worse. And just by having those, uh, just by being aware of those feelings, it just helps me motivate uh, me a little bit more to go towards uh, those goals or go towards my anxiety. And the second thing is really uh, just self-compassion and, um, you know, just trying to tell myself that, okay, look, if you didn't do it, it's okay. And, but, you know, you just have to keep, I don't know, it used to not be that way for me. And so that's why using self-compassion as one of my values is definitely uh, important. Yes, I want to stay on that for a second. So most people, most people in general, but also those that are suffering from anxiety disorders are pretty self-critical, particularly when they might be self-critical for towards themselves for not living up to the standards that they want or for their anxiety getting in the way of their life, but also in the context of cognitive behavioral therapy, also once you learn what creates, maintains, and intensifies your anxiety, a lot of people become self-critical when they're not able to relate to it effectively because they're aware that it's making that it worse over time. So how have you been able to embody self-compassion in a moment where you can tell that whatever you just did is making it worse? It's more about self-talk in my situation because before I would always tell myself like, hey, Jared, you know, like this is not the way that you're supposed to be doing. And, or, you know, just a lot of insulting, just self insults. And so, you know, I tried to really work on that. And I just tried to really work on, you know, just better, just telling myself that it's okay, that you can still do it, that, you know, just a little bit more of my own self support. And that actually have changed a lot of my behavioral uh, ways of doing things as well. So, um, you know, pre-COVID, it was a lot of anxiety about the bike. And now, well, then it just transitioned into like being a part of my daily life every single day. And so uh, just having those values and also the last part, which is not worrying about the end result or the consequences, because that will just create more anxiety within me. Great. Yeah. So you've switched to being kind of process oriented where you're focusing on how you're acting, not the outcome of your actions. Um, yes. Yeah. And what you said about self-talk for self-compassion is really great. So hopefully other people will also um, say more about that too. Thank you. Um, Scout, can you go next? Um, yeah, I think for me, um, because I've, I've had um, a lot of anxiety throughout my entire life um, and OCD as well, that I, it was worth it to try something different because what I was doing 
wasn't working. Um, and I could see, you know, that it wasn't working and that it was making it worse. And so what I mean by that is um, usually I, I spent probably, you know, a lot of years of my life resisting the anxiety or trying to figure out what the thoughts meant and being kind of intolerant of, of the uncertainty. Um, and so to go toward the uncertainty on purpose um, was really terrifying to me at first. Um, and I tried and wasn't successful a lot of times, but I think when I finally realized that my way was also not working, um, and then I started a little bit at a time, just trying to get a little bit of distance and started just accepting the thoughts as thoughts first and then not to figure it out. Um, I found some success and then I could build on that success moving forward. Thank you. That's also a great answer. And something that I just want to reinforce there is oftentimes when people are really anxious or really um, caught or fused to your to your OCD content, it's hard to see your thoughts as thoughts. And so one way to even think about that is when you're when you perceive a threat, it's normal, natural, healthy, and adaptive to have fight or flight and to have catastrophic thinking. And if you can start to see that like when you perceive a threat, your heart races, you start to get sweaty and you have catastrophic thought. And that catastrophic thought is like no it's like your brain's version of your heart racing and that that the reason that you could start to challenge it or get distance from it or treat it as though it's not um, truth or a message is because you can tell that it's arriving because of your anxiety or because um, because of your OCD, because you had an unwanted intrusive thought that arrived with a whoosh. Um, so Scout, it's really wonderful to hear that you eventually got to a place where you could see that that thought was just a thought. It wasn't a truth or a message. And then you gradually practice not trying to figure it out or to fix it. Does that fit your experience? Um, yeah. And I, for a long time, it was really hard because I was so used to my content that um, it made it really hard to do any of the, the treatment effectively. Yeah. Um, hopefully we can talk about that through throughout some other podcasts too. Thank you. Um, Sophie? Yeah, um, I think everything that Scout just said is like how I feel too. That um, like I used to be so fused to my content that um, I remember like not wanting to be alone very often, or I didn't want to like. I remember I didn't want to walk because like that left me too alone in my thoughts. I'd rather run, or I'd rather not like be in long hard drives because um, my like anxiety would get so bad, or like just my like rumination and things like that. Um, but I think for me too, like I, um, I don't know if this is directly answering the question, but I used to have a really hard time, I think because of my anxiety and OCD, like even seeing like a future and what my future looked like. And so I think it's really tricky now or not tricky, but it's good in the sense that like, I think, um, I've gotten to a place where my, um, anxiety and OCD are better under control that now I'm actually like, what do I want my future to look like, you know, and things like that. But, um, it's also um, I think that is motivating to me for continuing to do this practice because it's, um, allowing me to like, actually, you know, hold a job and graduate from grad school and things like that, that I really value. 
Um, it's just kind of a weird place to be in where you're like having to make decisions for your life that, um, you hadn't really ever gotten to the point of considering because of having such strong OCD and anxiety. Yeah, it can really make anxiety and OCD can really make it seem like you're just living moment to moment, like you're just surviving. Um, so it, because you were just surviving, it was hard to see what could happen after that. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I know that's a common experience that a lot of people have. And really, I mean, values work is important when you're really fused and you're really suffering with anxiety and OCD. At least an, you have to kind of value life enough to try. Um, and you have to value not only life itself, but like kind of your own potential future and to have enough um, hope about your, your future to take a leap of faith and try this new way of acting. Um, but you're right that you probably don't need like um, more specific and idiosyncratic awareness of your specific values that are informing your life decisions until actually you're in a place where your anxiety and OCD are managed well enough that you don't just feel like you're surviving all the time. Um, so that kind of moves us into our next point. Um, I'm wondering if I can hear a little bit about the values that motivate consistency around continuing to challenge your anxiety, particularly because all of you have kind of been working this system for a while now um, and have kind of a probably a, a sense of what your triggers are and a sense of when your anxiety is probably going to show up. So what keeps you motivated to challenge it on a regular basis? And when you get stuck, I guess the second question that you can answer at the same time is where do you get stuck and like, how do you get out of being stuck when that, when that happens? So Patrice, can you go first? You know, I, um, as far as value, value related, I, um, you know, I, I value my relationship with my husband and, and with my fam all of my family, that that's really important to me. And I'm realizing that um, when I'm really caught in my anxiety, and especially if it, there's a lot of catastrophic thinking or fear, that it, it kind of cuts off the the natural flow of my relationships. It it um, I, I'm learning that it's it's not just about me, and that as I can uh, care enough about myself to want to get better, that. I, I believe that that's going to improve my relationships with family. And um, as I, like Jared mentioned, being self-compassionate, I think as I can be more compassionate with myself, it helps me to see other people maybe in a broader light and, and be more loving and compassionate to them. So um, that's another thing that keeps me motivated that, you know, to keep moving towards my anxiety, not to run from it. And, um, and even to now, I think I'm at a point now, as I learn more, that I can challenge myself more easily to take the next step, you know, to, to, um, you know, like be curious, but really make some, I'm trying to really look at what exposures would help me so that I can keep moving forward. You know, with with the idea that it's not just me, it's going to improve my life and my friendships and my family relationships. Yeah, I'm really happy to hear that. And it seems like you've really embodied the spirit of exposure practice, which is not just something that you have to do, like because your psychologist told you that that's going to help you overcome mm -hmm. your anxiety, but rather it's something that you're actively seeking out 
so that you can relate to your anxiety even better and better for the sake of your relationships. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Yeah. Happy to hear that. Thank you. Um, Jared, can you go next? Uh, yeah. I mean, the first, you know, just as I mentioned before, self-compassion, uh, was definitely one of those values that I find very important in my life. Um, and the second thing is not, I don't know if I can consider this a value, but, you know, just having a routine on a consistent basis has really, uh, you know, that really kind of changed the way, you know, just my lifestyle, uh, just having my dog around, uh, my dog is actually a big, uh, reminder of, uh, you know, needing to take him on walks and stuff. And so, you know, these little things that I hadn't done before has really just kind of shaped, uh, the way of how I, um, you know, just have to cons- consistently like motivate myself. So yeah, just, uh, those are the things I can think of at the moment. Yeah, that's a really great point that if you don't already have um, structure, even if there, I know there was like some obligations that you had before, but maybe not the structure that you've now put in place, whether that's caring for yourself or another animal, but like eating at regular times, sleeping at regular times, exercising, um, meeting other social obligations, all those things can be really, um, again, positive reinforcing and then can help you stay motivated to do the challenging work of relating to anxiety effectively too. Um, So thank you for that example. Um, Scout, can you go next? Um, Yeah, I think for me, it's similar to what Patrice said, which was um, that I valued my relationships um, and specifically with my wife and my daughter and also my job and my clients. Um, But there's a... um, there's a piece of that that feels like those are the commitment that I made um, is a value too that because I made a commitment to get married, to have a child, um, to be there for my clients when I said I was going to, um, that that's very important to me. So that helps me kind of move forward with my day, even in um, a lot of distress, um, which OCD can create sometimes. Yeah. So it sounds like it isn't a perfectionistic, like I need to be perfect for everyone kind of thing, but rather these are um, commitments that I've made out of my values that I really care about my family and my um, clients. And therefore you like want to show, even when it's challenging, you really want to show up for them. Yes. Yeah. Happy to hear that. That's great motivation. Um, Sophie. Yeah, I think for me, it's like kind of what everyone just said too. And I think um, it's like, you can find out more about yourself, kind of like what Patrice was saying, but like, I don't know, for me, I remember this like very permanent type thought that I, when I was really in the thick of like anxiety and OCD, where I was like, oh, I have to like be a good person so that like, if I were to do something to harm somebody, like they wouldn't believe it because they think I'm such a good person. And that like thought fueled a lot of my decisions and my actions for a really long time. Um, And so I felt like once I was able to work through that thought um, and like kind of disassemble it and like learn what OCD was and learn what like harm, you know, OCD is, it was easier for me to actually be like, oh, like, why do I want to be a good person? You know, or things like that, or like, what does it mean to be a good person? And not just like fueled by anxiety. And, um, it's like very, I think 
comforting when you like are able to start making decisions for yourself instead of like, it feels very compulsive to like make decisions about who you need to be and what you need to do. Um, and I also think too, like I'm in healthcare. So for me, it's like, okay, well, I went into healthcare, you know, like everyone writes on their like admissions things like I want to help people, but then it's like, okay, like, why do I want to help people? Like, you know, when it's not fueled by like harm OCD, um, why do you want to help people? So it's different. Yeah. Can you actually uh, like say a little bit more about that? So people listening can understand, can you be more specific first about what you mean by harm OCD? Like what type of intrusions would you have? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, and I don't want it to seem like I used to have these intrusions and now I don't because I get like thousands of them every day. So it's like, definitely not like this is past tense, but a lot of them that I have are like around, um, harming other people by like, you know, my family because of contamination related things. I had a lot of content. Like if I were to get HIV and then use like a towel on accident from one of my family members, then they would get HIV and that would cause them potentially distress or like, like loss of life or something. Um, I get harm related OCD with patients as far as like, oh, if I don't do this intervention or if I do this intervention wrong or I don't give them the care that this person needs um, or deserves, then um, they will experience, you know, um, being sick or being in pain or death or something like that. Um, so I think those are the kind of intrusions I have. Um, I get them around my dog, around um, pretty much any time that I'm in any position to care for somebody else who's like vulnerable or who like I feel like deserves care, you know, or um, warrants like goodwill being shown towards them. Um, and I guess harm OCD to me means like that you um, have a lot of anxiety around like whether an action that you do or don't do will cause distress or affect somebody else. And then can you tell me the difference between the compulsive sense of like, I have to be a good person as a compulsion versus wanting to be a good person based on your values? Yeah, I mean, I think it was compulsion because it was driven by this like anxiety I had around wanting, you know, I've had pedophilia content in the past too. I've had, you know, like I said, contamination around harm. So I just wanted to be like a really good provider and a really good, you know, babysitter and a really good, you know, caretaker for my dog or whatever, like, so that if anything ever happened that I had done to, to harm, you know, I put that in quotes, somebody that like, they wouldn't believe it because like, I was such this good person to them. So it was like very compulsively driven where like, I would, you know, go above and beyond and actions I made, you know, like, oh, you know, I need to be extra safe that this intervention is okay. Or I need to be extra, you know, aware of my actions that I do, whatever I'm doing, you know, just because I needed to be so like careful around them and purposeful um, versus like not being compulsively driven to be a good person is just like, oh, I got up today. I could wave at that person, you know, so I'm going to, you know, it's not like, oh, they could give me HIV. So I'm, but I'm going to be careful and say hi. You know, I don't know. It's just, that's not a great example, but it's just hard to like, like seeing people as like the, um, the compound of like their germs and like 
negative things and like the things that you have to do to like protect yourself or do with them so that they can see you as a good person versus like um just seeing people as people that are like interacting with you like incidentally that you don't really have any control over how your interactions with them go yeah it's actually a great example that one of the small moments that can occur when you're not bracing and like living in fear all the time because of anxiety and OCD that just like there's another person I could say hello um, is like a small moment of um, potential happiness that isn't available to you as you're bracing or like trying to live by OCD standards according to um, something you could potentially do wrong. Um, So thank you for everything that you just shared. That was really helpful. Um, So in awareness of our time, why don't we switch to Um, doing commitments so everyone can commit to something that can either be a functional goal, so can improve everyday life for you, or it can be a distress tolerance goal. So it could be something like, I know this content area, this anxiety trigger is coming up this week, so I'm going to actively go towards it in this kind of way. Um, And then also, just for the listeners, can you you end on what helps you maintain hope? Um, So Patrice, can you go first with what you want to commit to and what, how you maintain hope? I want to commit to continuing um, this next week with, um, you know, checking in with my brother, but not asking a lot of questions, let him initiate how he's feeling and not trying to orchestrate the direction of his care Um, and, and not get caught up in the past because he was so sick in the past, but stay in the present of, of and grateful for how well he's doing now. So that's what I want to commit to. And, um, I think what's keeping me motivated, part of it is I, I really do feel that um, not that I don't still have intrusive thoughts and feel anxious. I really feel that the, that the work and, and that as I take part in huddle and try and listen to others share and, and able to be truthful and share to the best that I can about my struggles, um, I can notice a new calmness coming over me <laughs> and I want that pattern to continue. And so I, I feel like the more that I put myself out there and the more that I'm able to stay motivated in this process, that, that the benefits will um, continue and, and rec- and just uh, also recognize that it doesn't mean that I won't ever be anxious, but I think, that it's going to help me because the hardest time is when I get sensitized. And, and the more I follow this, then the better I'll able to be handling when I really do feel anxious. So. Yeah. So happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear that you're seeing the, you're not just um, again, believing it because it's something that I told you would work, but rather you have experiential confidence that it's getting, helping you stay calmer or get calmer. Yeah. Um, Jared, can you go next? Yeah, um, you know, I'll be committing to doing another bike ride this week because, you know, I've just been lacking uh, during these wild COVID times. And what is what keeps me motivated um, is my continued self-improvement, honestly. It's, uh, you know, I, this is like the most I felt confident. This is the most I felt, uh, um, you know, felt better in terms of uh, from a mental health standpoint. And so just my improvement and also huddle gives me hope. So, yeah. Thanks, Jared. I'm happy to hear yeah. that. Um, and good commitment. I think it's great that you're going to keep up the cycling. Um, Scout? 
Um, yeah, so my commitment is just to try to stay um, focused on my day and not on my anxiety because I, I still feel, you know, I woke up sensitized. I feel sensitized. I'm aware that sometimes OCD um, likes to pop up when I'm in this kind of feeling state, but I'm continuing just to not pay that much attention to it. And if it happens, then um, I'll have an anxiety workout um, and hopefully move on after that. Glad to hear it. Is there something that helps you maintain your hope? Um, I think because I have seen that I've gotten better. Um, so over time, like I was comparing um, this Christmas with past last Christmas um, just recently, and there's a, a, a big improvement with just my well overall well-being. Great. I'm happy to hear that. It's the same kind of concept of experiential confidence. I'm so glad to hear that you have that. Sophie? Um, I think for me, I will probably still get a good amount of anticipatory anxiety tonight um, because I um, always do before I start another week of work. So um, I think just being like I was talking about earlier, um, allowing it to be there and accepting it there and not making it mean anything about how the week will go. Um, and then I guess what gives me hope is... Um, I think the podcast has helped me a lot because um, I listen to it on my way to work a lot. And so it's like, I think it's me and like, it's helpful to kind of review the content other people have and hear, you know, like it still feels like you have that community, even though you're like on your own. Um, and also I think, um, like I said, I'm in healthcare and um, I ask people to make a lot of like lifestyle changes every day. So I'm kind of like very hypocritical to, you know, not be trying to make my own lifestyle choices to improve myself. So. Yeah. So I'm so happy to hear that. And just what I want to reinforce about it is I think, so I made the podcast for the very reason that you're describing um, that I think the more that other people can hear other people thinking through like not only what they're experiencing, but how they think about what they're experiencing and then what their options are, what they try out for doing differently. Um, that's not only like one of the magical parts of group therapy, but I'm hoping that that's also part of the podcast. So I'm really happy to hear that. Um, but I think that that can be true in healthcare or in teaching, um, in other parts of everyday life. Um, when, when you can shift out of judgment or, um, criticism of yourself or other people for whatever they suffer from, and you start to get curious about what they're experiencing and how they're coping with it. And then even like successes for what goes well. So when you encourage other people, for instance, in your profession to make lifestyle changes, and then you can hear their thinking and you can embody their thinking, um, all of it, I think, can be like positively reinforcing. And I'm really happy to hear that that's happening for you. Um, so we will end on that. Thank you all for being here. And um, we'll be back soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you're looking for a great place online to practice the mental health improving tips from this episode that's also COVID safe and HIPAA compliant, consider joining Huddle.care. Huddle is an online mental health club that strives to meet you where you are in your mental health journey. We have community time, altruism clubs, skills groups, and individual psychotherapy. Head to Huddle.care to learn more. And don't forget to tell me what you're proud of whenever you can via email, my website, or on the social media channels.
Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.